This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. You're listening to Wharton Moneyball on Business Radio. Welcome back. Welcome back to Wharton Moneyball. Two hours of Sports Analytics Live every Wednesday morning, 8 to 10 Eastern. This is Cade Massey hosting this morning with my buddies, Shane Jensen, statistics professor, and Eric Bradlow, marketing professor, maybe also statistics professor. Do you get credit for that? I think I get credit oh, for yeah. that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'll give him credit for that. All right. Uh, Audie Weiner's in the classroom right now. Audie will be back. You guys can jump in and join us. Please do. one 844 Wharton, that's 1-844-942-7866. 1-844-942-7866. I'm a little worried since we changed channels that we're not getting as many calls. Is that possible? Somebody prove us wrong. Give Matty Dats a call. 1-844-WHARTON. Email businessradio at SiriusXM.com. Businessradio at SiriusXM.com. Or on Twitter at WMoneyBall. At WMoneyBall is our account. Give us a holler up there. Just off the phone with Phil Wagner. Phil runs Sparta Sports and uh, interesting interview in the sports science world. Now changing gears to one of our all-time favorite guests and a regular on this program, Brian Burke. Brian is with ESPN now. He was in a former life a Navy pilot and then an early pioneer in modern football analytics. Now he's with the mothership and a small group of people changing the world of sports analytics up there. Brian, welcome back to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Glad to have you, man. Are you calling from Northern Virginia? Am I guessing right? All right. So even though you're with the mothership, you're 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 working out of your home still. Is that correct? Yes. I'm, yeah. The rest in office of ESPN. <laughs> All right. How often do you make it up to West Hartford or whatever it is up there? Bristol. Uh, usually go up there for a week at a time, a uh, handful of times a year. It, it depends. It changes um, maybe Bru- four or five times a year. Brian, what happens when you go up there for a week? When, when you, Are you still kind of tickled by walking around the ESPN campus or is, is that worn off yet? Not worn off yet. Yeah, um, it it is weird. Uh, it's um, you see all the, the all the, the sports center talent and the celebrities. Everybody knows, and we all have our favorites, and they feel like our buddies. And you want to go say <laughs> hi to them. And uh, actually, my first visit was so surreal. So they had me. They were rec- recruiting me. And they had me up to lunch, and uh, in the cafe in line to get like a a wrap. And right in front of me are John Gruden and Stephen A. Smith. We don't really know each other, but know of each other. And, you know, Gruden doesn't live in Bristol. He, 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 you know, lived elsewhere, would travel for Monday Night Football. And they were just in this just, like, loud conversation. That was just such a surreal moment. And those moments continue every time I go there. Did did they lose some credibility on the analytics front when the first two people you saw were Stephen Smith and John Gruden? You're like, hey, where are the analysts around here? I mean, those guys, come on. Really? Yeah, actually, um, no, uh, I have uh, Stephen A. Smith and, and Kellerman. Kellerman dug into an old article about quarterback fall-offs, and they bring this up at, at least once a week now on first take. Oh, he's and been predicting Kellerman Brady's fall-off for, uh, for a good five years now. He'll eventually be right. <laughs> yes, yes. 
Yeah, so his argument is Tom Brady's going to fall off a cliff this year because this article I read online from this guy, Brian Burke, didn't even know I worked for ESPN mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, at the time. So he's reading this old article that just said, hey, these aging quarterbacks, these aging franchise quarterbacks, they, you don't see it coming. There's no steady decline. They just fall off this cliff their last year. You just don't know what year it's going to be. Mm-hmm. And uh, But he kind of <laughs> – I think he missed – you know, misunderstood a little bit. And so he's been digging this hole. And Stephen A. just started ripping him apart, Say, where did you read this who? And he's like, who, Brian, who? How do you spell that B-R-I? And I'm at home working. And somebody's like, hey, you got to turn on first take right now. And so, yes, very surreal. Um, and it, it never goes away. So it, that, that little piece you reminded reminded me of is we saw something in the last few months about someone who's saying injury risk is not properly modeled because it's not that like running backs you know decline steadily over time it's that they cruise along and then they get hurt and they're gone so it's a it's a survival curve you should be working with as opposed to some kind of steady decay that wasn't your work was it no i did something you know there was this thing about 370 carries i won't mention whose theory that was, but it was kind of this combination of several statistical fallacies. And so, but, but it caught traction. This, this, uh, they called it curse of 370 or something. If you give your running back more than 370 carries in a regular season, he's going to fall. He's going to have a terrible year the next year or a terrible year, either the next year or the year after that. And it, it was all kind of, well, this is nonsense, but it caught on and it took years and years to kind of, uh, wean that out of the league. You know that this is one of the reasons we love that you're up there at ESPN because you're you're a great analyst and now you have a better platform. And so we hope that you you know what used to take years and years might take less time. And it seems to me that ESPN is actually kind of a force for good these days. Now that they have enough of you guys up there, they're using good, sophisticated analytics across the platform. They're showing up and you know Game Day is using interesting stuff. FPI is everywhere. I mean, if people could just pay more attention to FBI. That would that would be a win, right? But here's here's an area that I think they still have some ways to go. The win probabilities. I'm so entertained by the way how how strongly people react to the win probability, the in game win probability. So you're yeah. kind of on the on the on the front lines of this. What's been your experience with those charts and people's reactions to them? Uh, well, the 99 percent of the cases everybody is like yeah that's exactly how i felt that was that's a chart of my emotions during the game that perfectly captures what i was feeling that that whole game Mm -hmm. and they 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 buy into it and they get it what people um i think the the pushback on it is sometimes uh one is what's the point uh and the reason it, it is kind of this it's a novelty, right? If you just look at the chart and go, oh, they had a 3% chance to win here and they had a 5% chance to win there. But on the analytics side, if you, that's the core model for in-game decision analysis. Mm-hmm. So that's what that model's for. So that's driving the, should I go for it on fourth down? Should I go for two here? When do I need to onside kick? Say, so Brian, hold, let me pause because you said that's the cooler model. Can you use a different adjective than that? It's core. Sorry, oh, core. Core. Okay. Yeah, that's my Baltimore accent coming. It's a be- it's a better model, basically, because because this is yeah. what you if you care about wins, then you need to work with win probability as as the objective of yeah. your decisions, right? Yeah, that's a great way to put it. I remember uh, listening to Dan Patrick one day, who says he was complaining about I think he was complaining about QBR, 
and passer rating, and he goes, none of this is really connected to wins. I want to see something that like starts with the win and works backwards and tells me mm. how a quarterback helps a team win. And yeah. I'm kind of screaming back at the radio saying, yeah, we got that. We have something exactly like that. That's called win probability added. So mm-hmm. there, there's some really good uses of that. On the on the ESPN side, what the the problem can be they the they want the uh, like on SportsCenter they want to highlight the most extreme things and naturally right and so they want to look at the case where uh, a team had just this incredibly improbable comeback and so people will argue whether it was like a one in thousand comeback or one in hundred comeback or one in 5,000 comeback. And, you know, the models really aren't built, and we don't have the data. It's really, they can't be that precise. You know, I, I just want to say, hey, it was greater than 99% or right. less than 1%. But right. we really want those those kind of huge numbers with lots of zeros and, and because they're extreme and eye-catching and stuff. So that's when we get, can get into a little bit, you know, we get some pushback on, on that sort of thing. Am I wrong? Or is some, I felt like some of the sentiment was, you know, oh, it's a little bit of this outcome bias. It can't have been that extreme because, look, they didn't win after all. You know, there's 99%. And then, oh, they lost. Well, your chart must have been stupid. And there's a there's a sense that maybe because they see those events happen, you know, every other month someone's putting up a chart where it was 99% at the end of the game and they lost. People are like, it can't happen enough. And they don't realize there are literally thousands of matches going on all over the world. It can exactly happen. Yeah. But they can't get past that outcome bias reasoning. Right, they don't know the denominator. The denominator is enormous, mm-hmm. and you're only shown highlights from the the most spectacular games and and the you know the most notable games. There are um, you know, literally thousands of of college football games and things going on every year that uh, don't make it on your radar just because they're they're just not notable. Right, you know that's a general theme that we don't we don't we we often don't understand the denominator, and it leads us. It leads us to get probabilities wrong. So, for example... Well, let me give an example. Uh, so, Brian, this is Eric Bradlow. Uh, Cade asked us a question last week on the air, which is, if I told you who the top 10 teams were, what the, what's the probability of four of them making the college football playoff? This is exactly the example the, I was going to give. All right. So, this is, so, we're in sync here. And it turns out you can do 10 choose four, which turns out there's 210 combinations. And so, if you just believed every one of those top 10 teams had an equal chance, you should guess one in 210. But when Kate asked us, we all said, oh, 10%, 15%. Yeah. And we were off by a magnitude of 100. It wasn't even close. So, we just yeah. had no sense that there's actually 200 plus combinations of four teams out of that 10. And that's only the top 10. You know, that's there's teams the... outside the top 10 and the top 20, top 25 that have a chance. I mean, the number of combinations when you're considering the the probability of a p- specific bracket in the in, in the four-team in, in NCAA playoff, it's just enormous. And people have no sense. And that kills the likelihood of any particular thing. So we're talking to Brian Burke. Brian is uh, analytics senior analytics specialist at ESPN, a longtime football analytics writer. Brian, you just referred to win probability added. So other sports, you know, baseball was the first to have these numbers. And, you know, you go into a, a major league scouting room or you watch a draft and these guys have all their players distilled down to a number, like a single number, and it drives everything. Basketball can do this now. Basketball has caught up, maybe even surpassed baseball. Football has struggled to be able to reduce it that way, that far, and it, and it inhibits the ability to, to make some decisions. It inhibits analytics in general. 
But it sounds like you've made some progress, and there are some other folks kicking some numbers around. Your is your preferred win probability added, and and does it apply? Can you can you use that to evaluate an offensive guard? Do you have it at that level? No, um, like things like expected points added, win probability added. Those are really team level metrics. Okay, um, and they but when a quarterback makes a pass, you know you can credit him for that, you know team level. Um, improvement or decline in chance to win or chance to score uh, when a running back is handed the ball, right? You, we, we do that anyway with yards, right? We credit the quarterback with all those yards. Well, we can, go, we can go further. I just saw a stat on Earl Thomas. I've never seen plus minus on defensive backs in the in the in college, but someone ran a plus minus on Earl Thomas, and it was striking. It might have been a small sample, but it was striking the difference on what what their defense does, Seattle's defense does when he's on the field or not. And it, it yeah. just struck me as interesting for you know. If you can get a big enough sample, you might be able to run. And if you get enough variation, there may not be. In hockey, these guys are on and off the ice every minute. In football, there, there's not as much variation, so it's harder to pull out those differences. But what, what, yeah. how can we go from these team-level numbers to an individual? Yeah, because I think partially out credit for plays is very important. I mean, you, you, you say you can give credit for the yards of a pass to the quarterback, but I mean— you know, Aaron Rodgers throws a 30-yard pass to Randall Cobb, and Randall Cobb runs another 41 yards to the end zone. How is is that the right way of parceling it out? QBR does that um, for for quarterbacks anyway. We hey, there's a 10-yard pass and then a 40-yard yard after catch for a 50-yard touchdown. We don't credit the quarterback for you know all whatever 60 of those yards or or the touchdown. We give him the you know the 10 yards plus some expected. Um, okay. uh, amount of yards based on the configuration of the t- and type of play and game situation, and then turn that into expected points added, then credit that expected points added to the quarterback. So we do that a little bit with the quarterback, but here's the real answer to what you're, you're asking, is with the player tracking data we have now in the NFL, we can uh, look at, let's say, that left guard and say he won his block or he lost his block and allowed pressure at a not only did he allow pressure but we know exactly how far into the play how many seconds after the snap pressure was allowed and we know what kind of pressure it was was it edge pressure was it pocket pressure and then um, we can look at those plays take a step back and say uh, and do some uh, math with the team level metrics and say whenever a left guard wins a block like this they tend to improve the, the the distribution of expected points added looks like this mm-hmm. compared to when he loses the block um the distribution of expected points added looks something like something else take the difference between those those expectations and then we can credit that player with that amount of yeah so points. brian this is our brad though i've been doing those t- look i remember the as a graduate student in statistics um there was a guy that came in who was doing sports statistics at byu his name is gil fellingham and the way he described it is if you want to do individual level statistics it's actually quite simple you've got to score every person on every play And he was obviously, the way he would do it is he would have a team of people in the old days just literally focusing on a given player and giving them a score. And then you're now talking about using technology, even if it's just a course measure. Did the person win or lose their particular block or something like that? So I I love this analysis of kind of looking at, given win versus loss on a given play, what's the change in expected win share? And that should help not only evaluate the player, but I would imagine, maybe you could talk about this, wouldn't this help a general manager also decide on which 
call up players or which positions have high leverage on a team? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So if you could do a, a big giant plus minus, uh, um, you know, if, if if we did have <clears throat> substitutions in football like we do in other sports, um, we could do a plus minus. We but we we can't. There's not enough substitutions. Um, but if you could, yeah, then then um, this is kind of the next best thing. Uh, could be even better, I think. And you, yeah, if you have a, a giant matrix of every player and every play, um, then you can kind of solve that matrix, and you get you can say, hey, this player's worth this much. Uh, this this other player is worth you know another value. Um, he can be worth. He's worth this when he's playing the three technique tackle. He's he's worth this when he's a five technique defensive end. Um, we can do we could do lots of great stuff. So clearly, that's where the field is going. And one of the things that you're saying is going to help get there is the technology, the player tracking. One of my questions about the description you just gave is how how readily can we go from an image to code that allows you to evaluate the value of these things? So you say, well. We're gonna we're gonna assess whether that guy held his block and for how long and what impacted it on the play. How far along are we on making that translation automatically? Um, yeah, that's what I'm working on now, and uh, we're very far along, um, very very far along. There's some things I can't discuss. The league is keeps very tight control on kind of the, the avenues um, where we can just kind of talk about these things and channels that we can talk about them on but they're uh but we are very very far along we are much further along than i think people um could expect brian can we safely say without giving anything away that it's not a human-based system with just people watching so there's some whether it's an artificial intelligence partner or something it's something in that realm is it fair to say that yeah, oh, absolutely. It, it's it's AI. It's it's neural networks. It's watching these plays and it's making um, real time and anal- near real time analysis of of each play and each player. Um, and so, uh, but we're we're just we've got it. We've done it, and it works. And we're kind of just waiting for um, waiting for the the appropriate time and, and venue to to start unveiling these things so brian what's what's your relationship to the league on this i i wouldn't have known that you guys were in partnership with them necessarily so so what can you can you talk about that you know i might get in trouble talking about contract stuff um but the the, the they're they're a vendor basically a data vendor um so the league the league uh they have a company called zebra which actually does the um uh, the 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 hardware uh, system that collects the player tracking data, then the league um, owns that, and then it it sells it, vends it to, it gives it to its teams, to the 32 clubs, but yeah. then uh, then it sells it to people like Fox and ESPN and mm-hmm. CBS. So I, I maybe we'll just let this go for now, but there I don't we don't quite yet understand what you know. I know that the league. I mean, Michael Lopez is working for the league now, so stats prof that we've does a lot of great work, and so they're they're clearly interesting interesting things boiling on the on the league's kitchen and around this technology. Be very curious to see how this thing comes up. I have one detail question for you that I'm curious about, and th- this is one of those nitpicky things that that sometimes people who, who don't like these grades and don't like these systems critics will say, but it seems legitimate to me. So, how do you? You want you, you, the best lineman will be given harder assignments. Essentially, 
So yeah. they, they, you know, they will, they'll be asked to make a reach block or they won't get help on something. And so their performance has to be normed for the positions they're put into in some way because those positions aren't random. They're endogenous. They reflect something about the ability. So I think I have some ideas on how you might accommodate that. But to what extent are people accommodating that? Because it seems really important for maybe all positions. Yeah, um, we can we, – we can, like you were talking about before, uh, with running back injuries, it, the, it's a survival fun- – like a block is – the way I, <clears throat> I think of a block, the way we're starting to think of a block at ESPN is a, is a survival mechanism, just like your battery in your iPhone, right? Like um, you, if the past – there's a big problem with time and pocket statistics um, in that they say – uh, ben Roethlisberger averages 2.7 seconds time in pocket, and but as soon as he throws the ball, he can um, that time in pocket clock stops, right? But you don't know how long he would have had in the pocket had he not thrown that ball so quickly. Yeah. So it's uh, just like your your iPhone battery. You don't know when that iPhone battery would have died because you just went out and bought the new iPhone today, right? So or in testing, right? They don't test until every single iPhone dies, that would take years and years and years. So it's a survival model. So the, the so statistician would consider these ways to, to model that. And so as, as a block comes in, we're, we're measuring how long does that kind of block system survive. And, um, and then we, we do that on both sides of the equation, the, the blocker and then the pass rusher. And then for now, we're, we're just looking at pass stuff. And then what we'll do is we'll say, um, who, who we then we give a grade, an unadjusted grade, um, using survival functions uh, for each blocker and for each pass rusher. Then we look at who were you blocking, and then we can drop that into the kind of into a matrix um, and solve for that. Just like any kind of uh, SRS type thing or you know team power ranking, you adjust for the opponent, right? So, it, so it's, I think it's not I, hard to do mathematically. Um, so I, that's kind of. Uh, it's it's not a hard problem to solve. Well, Brian, that part of it I get that the conditioning for the situation I get. I'm I'm go, I want to go another step and say I want to give someone a credit for being put in tough situations because there's some there. Are, if you're a, a lineman who can handle his assignment without help, or or it allows you to execute a play that maybe another guy couldn't do, it's more than just controlling for the difficulty of the task. It's also crediting him for being in the situation. Yeah, um, but then it depends on whether or not he executes that. Sure. That whether he he actually succeeds in that situation. Sure, so, sure, sure. I mean, I think what Cade might be getting at, or maybe I can paraphrase, is you know, in baseball, like with something like a win probability added type measure, one of the parts that win probability add it, it, it credits a pitcher, for example, for success, but it gives kind of extra credit if that success comes in like high leverage situations or, or some kind of, there's some kind of context to that success that you want to provide extra reward for. And and I, I kind of feel like what, what you're getting at is really sort of like, I want to give extra credit when there is success in difficult assignments. It's, it's, I, no? I, no, I, yeah, Eric has it. It's Yeah, so so I'll give you, so Brian, tell me if this analogy works I, for I you. I agree with everything you said, no, Shay, no. but that's not capturing it. Yeah, I, so let me give you an analogy. So um, when I worked, 10-second story, Brian, I used to work as a statistician at the Educational Testing Service, and we've all taken these types of tests, and you you know there are a lot of things where it says, pick one of the following five essays, and you look at the performance of someone on the essay, and you give them a score. 
Mm-hmm. But actually, what's more informative is which one they pick. Oh, I love it. That's great. And so <laughs> we actually ran an analysis where we tried to predict someone's performance in college. We threw away their scores. Oh my gosh, we just kept great. which one they picked. And it turns out smarter people pick better. And conditional on that, they also perform better on the ones they pick. But actually, it's more informative about which ones they pick. So now back to Cade's point. Just the fact that you would put a great left tackle into a situation, forget how he performed on the play, that in itself is informative. So you have two things if you want to get someone's ability measure that you need to incorporate. One is the selection of being in that situation, and the second is the performance on it. I could So thank you, Eric. Helpful. And just give examples in other places on the field. You put your best defensive back in isolation on an island against the best receiver on the other side. That's You need to norm you know, the difficulty of that assignment in order to assess, but you also need to give him credit because it helps the rest of the defense because it frees him up to do other things. You got quarterbacks who don't have the arm to throw the long out, and so they spend the entire game throwing the short the short stuff, and the fact that that other thing is missing should actually reflect poorly on them because it's not randomly, it's not random that it's missing. One of the things we can do is, uh, what we do do is we look at double teams. So if you are on that island as a blocker, um, then we, we know that. We know how long you were double teamed, you, you know, you were double teamed with somebody, who that who else was uh, helping you on that block. One thing is, though, uh, I think like the degree of difficulty uh, of, of some of these things is like, hey, like the, hey, there's this long like reach block or you have to step outside a guy and then get outside leverage and seal, you know, an outside running lane or something, those, those things are very, very difficult for blockers to do. We're not there yet where we're like, oh, it's this kind of block and it's that hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, what we can do is say, hey, you're matched up against somebody else uh, who is this good um, on average, and this is how well you did against, against him, mm-hmm. and then we mm-hmm. kind of solve, solve for the uh, equilibrium. Mm-hmm. It's, it, it, it's an interesting problem it's a challenging problem and this is one of the fun things about analytics just when you think we kind of get it down we get all these new data and they require entirely new techniques and you know how it is brian i mean we we, we add a lot of value and then you know we realize we're still getting a zillion things wrong and um, yeah, oh yeah. it's going to yeah. be a while it's going to be a while what, what what else is going on around there what else are you work, working on that you're excited about that you can talk about well, things opened up uh, recently with some legal rulings or legal ruling about um, uh, wagering and gambling, and so uh, we've we've been asked to um, see what we can do in in that realm. Um, we, we're going to stay out of things like uh, um, touting uh, lines and picks and things like that, but uh, uh, there are some fun things we can do. So you mentioned the the in-game win probability model earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, one project uh, we have um, going right now is uh, in-game uh, spread cover probability, so that um, those 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 of you out there who enjoy uh, wagering on games can who don't care so much about who wins, but care whether or not a team covers a spread, uh, will have a, a chart to follow during the game to mm-hmm. to match your emotions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What that reminds me of the the sentiment analysis stuff that you guys are doing as well is that where where is that and how enthusiastic are you about what what we can learn from that is that just a fun thing or can we learn something from that? It, it is mostly a fun thing. It's something I did uh, just um, 
I have I always have like a side project to just kind of keep me interested and, and keep it fun. Mm-hmm. It was one of those. Yeah, because the rest of your work sounds like a real drag, Brian. <laughs> yeah, I have a rough, <laughs> I have a rough, rough life. I've uh, I've had a lot of dream jobs in my life, and mm-hmm. this is this is definitely one of them. Uh, but the twi- the Twitter analysis, so we download thousands and thousands of thousands of tweets, including probably many of your listeners right now are probably caught up in in our data, and. Um, we scan them for sentiment, and is it a positive or is it negative, and, and to what degree is it positive and negative? And then we can say, hey, are you referring to a team? And then we say <clears throat> these fans of these certain teams uh, are either happy or sad, and we can measure the, the sentiment uh, kind of from week to week to week uh, of these fans. And it, it's kind of interesting and fun to do that have you, on its own. Have we learned anything um, about, about particular? How, like last week, Raiders fans were, were not very happy. Um, but it is part of a thing we do called the Fan Happiness Index. It's one of the one of the contributors, um, and uh, well, uh, have, you, have you taken that? that? It really, it is just a, kind of a, a side project. Brian, are there are there things we can learn about that? So, are there situations that beyond the obvious that drive sentiment up or down? Are there? Fan- yeah, like surprising sentiments. I mean, you know, fans that somehow like come out of a game where the team lost, but they're. Yeah, Not like, as upset as you would expect them to be, appar- or, or the reverse of that. Apparently, Texas A&M, these fans, they chanted Jimbo Fisher's name as he left the field after yeah. a loss. And a heartbreaking loss at that. That's how happy those fans were. Down or maybe there. Cleveland was happy with their first non-loss in 14 consecutive games home- to Pittsburgh. No, uh, first games of the season. They tied. Ah, ah okay. Best yeah, results yeah, since 2004. About, one of the things I've, I learned about happiness is it's not what you think it is. It's like you think you think this set of fans or they should be happy and guess what they happiness has a mind of its own and it's really really hard to pin down uh, and it's all about kind of uh, uh, ex- expectations and mm-hmm. it's 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 a, it's a measurement against expectations so you could be a Patriots fan and you could go 10 and 6 this year right and you would be very disappointed if you're a uh, Browns fan and you go 10 and 6 this year you're mm-hmm. um, uh, You'd be very thrilled. So you, there's this kind of, I don't know, with the researchers, hedonic adjustment and yeah. kind of hedonic norms. You just, um, and it, I think all humans are like this. You would, you would, you win the lottery, and within a month, you've adjusted to your new environment, and your new situation, mm-hmm. um, and uh, you're not, you're not just thrilled as you thought you would be. Same thing when you suffer a loss in life. I'm getting a little deep here, but you, 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 I think people surprise themselves with how quickly they adjust to, to their new to their right. new situation. I right. think that's what I've learned watching. I look at this every week, and I look uh, from week to week to week how things go up and down for the different teams. Um, and it, it, it's, it's interesting to me just as, a, just as a curious person. So, Brian, how happy am I going to be after the Buccaneers beat the Eagles this week? Should I be happy about that? Is that going to... Yeah, you would be. Actually, the Buccaneers are a problem for us. They're un- Buccaneers fans are there are very few of them, by the way, and there are. Uh, <laughs> but I think the problem is their team name. So we look for team names, and I don't think anyone ever puts Buccaneers in a tweet. I think they put Bucks, oh, and yeah. that's what, and that kind of whenever someone puts Buccaneers, they tend to be happy. When someone says Bucks, they tend to be sad. So when we search for Buccaneers. <laughs> The, the Buccaneers fan base is just unnaturally happy. Last year, I thought it was because of hard knocks, but the same thing is happening this year. So I think there's just some, some uh, you know, it depends on the search term we're looking for in the, uh, right. in the tweet. Right. All right. Well, listen, Brian, we'll let you go. Always a pleasure to talk with you. Always a pleasure to read your work. We wish you the best with it going forward. 
Yeah, thanks. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu. Thank you.